Um, there's a lot to say about chapter 10. I'm going to try and cover the whole chapter. And so I know it's going to be pretty um, speedy, but there's some really good stuff in the second half that I wanted to go over. There's some good stuff in the first half as well. But uh, hopefully it's not too fast. Hopefully it doesn't go over anybody's head. Hopefully we can retain most of it. So uh, when reading this chapter, I think what came to my mind a lot when reading it was I felt like the text was just screaming missions, um, which I think is very appropriate, seeing Johnny back for the, for the first week, Cat back too, so we have some people, and Miley as well. I mean, you were here before, but like now we have like three of you guys, so it's kind of appropriate. Um, just came back from Japan, so that I think it's pretty cool, um, just the way the timing and everything worked out. Um, I think it's cool that we have friends that are willing to go into the world and preach the gospel to those who haven't heard it. Um, and I, I'm hoping that this chapter will encourage us to want to do that even more. So yeah, let's get started. So um, I need a volunteer to read some verses, eight verses. And we're going to start over here. So just read, um, we're going to start in Acts chapter 10 and just read verses one through eight. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay. So this first section, we learn a little bit about Cornelius. My translation calls uh, says he was in the Italian cohort. And so I didn't know what that was. I had to look it up. Um, some people believe that he it's more of a bodyguard of the Roman treasury. But he, most people are pretty sure he's a, just an average centurion. Not average, but somebody who had some sort of position. But... Uh, What's interesting is we already see from these first few verses, we don't know too much about him, but Cornelius was a good guy, um, at least in certain senses. I mean, he it says he was pretty much this moral dude. He uh, It says he was devout, that he prayed a lot, that he gave alms to people. And so even though he wasn't a Jew, we can see he's doing a lot of things right, at least from a worldly perspective. He's a, He's a good guy. And so... It's interesting to see that, and not only is he good towards people, but it, he is good towards God. You know, he prays, he tries to do what he can, and so it's interesting to see that he has this um, personality about him. He's a good guy. And so we see he has this vision, and um, supposedly it's around noon when he has this vision, uh, or when he has this visitation, and he goes to send for Peter. So he sent some people after him because the angel's like, hey, like, you got to find Peter. He's got some good news for you. And so um, he sends for him. So we kind of see his faith also right off the bat. As soon as the angel departs, he sends for Peter. 
And so um, I'm going to gloss over some of this stuff to get to some of the more heavy, weighty stuff. So we're just going to kind of read some of that, the next section. So I need somebody else to read, and this is about the same size, maybe a little bit bigger. Johnny, so if you could read verse 9 through 23. All right. The next day, Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town. Peter went up on the flat and earth to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down in its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared uh, impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then the men sent Cornelius sent by Cornelius, found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he could hear your message. Uh, 23? Uh, yeah, 23. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day they went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers of Joppa. Okay. So this vision is a big deal. And so we're going to get into it a little bit more as we read. I'm going to unpack it a little bit more. But it's interesting because it, it says at the same hour, pretty much, that Cornelius has his visitation. Peter has this, he goes into this trance and has this vision of these animals. They come down on this sheet, you know. And um, it's all of these animals that are regarded as unclean um, because of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament that they had. Um, and it says that the voice from heaven said, rise and eat. And so Peter doesn't like that. He protests it. He's like, hey, these are unclean. And the voice says, like we read, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And so pretty big words for Peter. Um, and kind of like what we saw last week, you know, he's already staying with the tanner. And so we kind of saw like he's already becoming more flexible to some of these rigid rules that otherwise might have been a little unusual for Peter to kind of cling to. And so it's interesting because this is basically with the coming of Jesus into the world, we have this final cleansing sacrifice that's been offered. And so now uh, we have this command to take the gospel to all ethnic groups, or Peter does in any way. And so the old ceremonial laws about food is lifted and this barrier to the Gentile world is removed. And so super interesting. And uh, I think um, it, would be a travesty if we read it and thought, oh, this just has to do with food. They can eat stuff now. Um, I think that's kind of, it's kind of a big deal because of what it represents, but it's not necessarily about what they're eating. Um, and so I think Peter's vision has two points um, with the, the food laws being fulfilled and then with the people who are normally considered unclean or common are not seen that way any longer. 
And so it seems that God makes this clear right away. Um, if we look at, uh, I think it's verse, what is it, verse 16, 17? It says that there's three dudes who come to come grab Peter. I think it's interesting because it also talks about how he had the vision three times. Verse 19. Verse 19. Thank you, Jaslyn. Um, it says, behold, three men are looking for you. So we have these three Gentile guys show up at Peter's door as he's having this vision three times about basically unclean things. And so I think right there, it's a wake, wake up call for Peter. Like, hey, this vision that you're having, this trance, I want you to pay attention to this stuff. And immediately we have these three Gentiles at the door. And so kind of a coincidence, maybe not. Um, so uh, I, th- I just think it's really interesting. And then Peter, um, he gets the message and he is going to decide to go with these guys, even though uh, these common or unclean people are the ones asking him. Um, they're normally separate from the Jews. They're kind of like the, they didn't really associate with him. And we'll kind of see a little bit of that going forward. So let's keep reading. And so I need somebody to read another 10 verses. Jaslyn, can you read 23 again, actually, and then read through 33? So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day he entered uh, Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objections when I was sent for. So I ask, for what reason you have sent me, sent for me? Cornelius said, Four days ago this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon, the tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Thank you. And so I think uh, looking at like verse 28, uh, we have Peter. He kind of says, hey, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so I think that verse is very important. So essentially we have Peter finally arrives to Cornelius's place. Um, he's journeying with these guys and Cornelius falls at his feet. And so that was kind of something that Jews did to kind of show like respect for somebody who was like, like high echelon, like you did this for like a king or like a big guest of honor, but for people who weren't Jewish. So like in most of these Gentile nations, whether it was like Greek or whether it was Romans, uh, this was something that you would do before gods. And so this was like a huge deal. And so Peter's like, whoa, like cut it out. Like, I'm just, I'm just a man. Like, I don't need that. And then he 
goes into saying, like, basically, this is, like, new for me. I don't associate with Gentiles. You guys know this about Jews. We don't really do this. And so he kind of goes into it. And then we have Cornelius. He kind of explains why he sent for him, what happened. And it's crazy because we have this situation where they meet. He goes on to uh, share the gospel. And uh, essentially, Cornelius's household ends up repenting, the Holy Spirit falls on all of the people, and they're all saved. And so that's what ends up happening. So it's really interesting to see how this is unfolding. Now, um, I kind of wanted to touch back on some of some things in the Old Testament. Uh, This is something uh, where I think we see this covenant that's fulfilled, this Abrahamic covenant being fulfilled, and the story about Peter and this vision that he has. So in the Old Testament, uh, we have this covenant between God and Abraham, and essentially they're God's set-apart people. And so he chooses Abraham and his descendants to kind of demonstrate his glory, his goodness throughout their history. And so Abraham is God's guy. He's like his dude. He's like, Abraham, I'm calling you out. Like, you're going to be my person. And it's interesting because you would think, okay, Abraham must have been rock solid, you know, but you see, see that he worshiped like false gods. He was like, not like he, (laughs) he didn't trust God. He did a lot of lousy stuff, but we see that God's like, no, I'm going to pick Abraham. He's my guy. And essentially we have this really interesting promise that God gives Abraham. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12. And it's in verse one. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred in your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we have God basically saying, hey, like everyone who's good to you, I'm going to bless everyone who dishonors you. It's going to be cursed and I'm going to bless your descendants, but not just them. I'm going to bless essentially the entire world through this covenant that I've created with you. And we see the same thing uh, reiterated in Genesis 18 and in Genesis 22 uh, between God and Abraham, basically driving home like, hey, like this covenant starts with you. The pe- Your descendants um, from here on out are going to be um, blessed. But he also, in verse 3, it says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So not just his descendants, but people all over the place. And so we're going to start seeing that unfold here even further as we keep going. And so we see the promise of God. We see this happening between him and, at the time, Abram. But the story goes on. We have Jesus who comes and dies and takes the wrath of God from all those who would put their trust in him. And so um, this new covenant is created through Jesus' sacrifice. He's the final necessary sacrifice. And so now we see it kind of culminating in the vision here that now Gentiles are going to be brought to the good news. You know, this is something that's awesome. It's this big historic moment in history. But uh, we're going to see this through Paul, something Paul says as well. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. And Anna, do you mind reading? Yeah, it was uh, verse six through verse fourteen. And three, uh, chapter three, verse six through fourteen. Um, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, 
Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteousness shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Shoot. So, super heavy, super awesome. I know seeing this, uh, I was reading over this again today, and um, this is huge. So, this vision, I know as a kid, you know, in Sunday school, you have this, the little, like, flannel graph, you know, they have, like, the little animals, and it's like, all fun, you know, and like, it's like, oh, they can eat pigs now. That's like, as a kid, that's what I remembered from the story. <laughs> but like, this is like way bigger than that. You know, this is like, um, this, revi- this vision reveals to Peter and to the apostles later on that Gentiles can be saved, you know, that they can reach out to the Gentiles. And this is in history when basically Peter gets this vision, it's like, now, from now on, like, this is what, this is what you can do. This, this Old Testament law has been fulfilled, and now, moving forward, this is what it looks like. And later in chapter 11, we'll, we'll see that the, this was new to the apostles as well. I mean, this is, Peter's getting this, like, direct thing, and he's like, okay, now we're going out. Um, this is what we're going to be doing. And so now we see that God's intention wasn't just for the Jews, uh, even though for the first few thousand years, that's what we see as him displaying his glory through the Jews. But now there's access to Gentiles. And so um, we can finally be grafted into God's family. And it's awesome to think that at this time in history is when like people like you and me can actually be included in all this. It's pretty amazing. And so I think that we don't want to just get caught on the fact that they could eat like Twinkies or whatever it was. But... It's like, it's big, you know, it's really big. Let's keep reading. So I need somebody to read from verse 34 to the end of the chapter. Are we back in Acts? We are back in Acts 10. Sorry about that. Yeah. So 34 to the rest. 34 to the end. (laughs) So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with, from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, 
not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his, his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had who'd come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and, and calling out to God. Then Peter declared, can anyone, with, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Awesome. So, like I had mentioned in the beginning, you know, we see Cornelius's household ends up getting saved. It's interesting to see the Holy Spirit fell on them. It says they began speaking in tongues, extolling God, and they called to be baptized. This doesn't necessarily mean this is the way salvation looks every time. You know, like it's not like, hey, like you hear these things, the Holy Spirit falls on you, then you get baptized. Like that's not necessarily the order of the way things happen. I've heard people say, you know, hey, if you're really saved, you speak in tongues. I don't know how you would get something like that out of this, but um, we're going to just ignore that. And so um, it doesn't really scream out of the text, so we're going to assume it's not there. Um, There's even places where it's a different order. Yeah, and so I think um, there's some interesting stuff happening there. But one thing that really jumped out at me when reading this is the very first part of this. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, period. And when I read that, I was like, what the heck does that mean? Because reading this, it says, every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so I think there's some questions that I would have from this. It kind of sounds a little interesting. And so (laughs) I think um, because we saw Cornelius in verse 2, it talks about how he was this devout guy. He prays a lot, gives alms. And so what does that mean for Peter visiting him? You know, is he showing up and saying, hey, like, you do these right things. You're a good guy. And so God, like, accepts these people. So, like, you're good to go. Like, I'm just coming to let you know you're in. You pass the test. Is that what he's saying? And so I have two questions that I want to ask. The first question is, in verse 35, Does it mean that Cornelius and people like him are already justified and reconciled to God and saved from his wrath? So big question that I think comes jumping out of there. And the second question kind of piggybacks on top of that one. And it is, what is Peter's point in saying this? And what is Luke's point in writing it? And what does this mean for people like Cornelius and Cornelius himself? What does it mean for these people? Um, are they justified, reconciled, saved? So two really big questions, I think, comes out of verse 35, where it says, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So as I was reading about this, there is four reasons that I want to give why the answer is no to question one, that he was not already saved 
and why Peter's visit had a little more weight than that. So uh, if we look a little bit further in chapter 11, in verse 14, it says, actually maybe we'll read 13, and he told us how he had seen the angels stand in the house and say, sent to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And so from that right there, I think uh, there's two things to notice. First is Peter's bringing the focus to the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. It's not um, something different. And the tense of this verb is future tense. So it will do these things. It says a message by which you will be saved. In other words, the message was not simply telling Cornelius that he was already saved. And so that's one point right there. Also in... That's huge. Yeah, because I, I mean, a lot of people, people take this passage for all roads lead to God. Yeah, mm-hmm. all the time. And so I think uh, for that, that's the first reason why Acts 10.35 probably doesn't mean that he was saved. Then uh, the second point I have for it is Peter's declaration in Acts 10.43. It says to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And so Peter kind of makes this point at the end of his sermon that it says everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Forgiveness of sins is salvation. No one is saved who sins against God or not forgiven by God. It's, I think that's pretty clear throughout the Bible, but I think it's just something worth pointing out. Peter says that forgiveness comes through believing in Christ and it comes through the name of Christ. And so he doesn't say, I'm here to announce to you that those of you who fear God do right. You guys are already forgiven. Um, He says, I'm here so that you may hear the gospel and receive forgiveness in the name of Christ by believing in him. Uh, So again, it's pretty unlikely that verse 35 means he was already saved. I know this feels a little drug out, but I got two more points to go through really quick. Another big one that I feel like makes a lot of sense. My third point is, what do we know about devout Jews' salvation elsewhere in Acts? It's a big thing. So I know recently we had... um, uh, what was his name? What was the eunuch's name? I forgot his name. Oh. We just went over it with Steve, and I already forgot. I, think I, wasn't here. I don't remember his name. Maybe he had a name. Either way, we have that story, and we have the Jews at Pentecost were called devout men. And that's in Acts chapter two, verse five. The same as Cornelius was called a devout man. So we see that same thing, but Peter ended his message in Acts two by calling even the devout Jews to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. So we see that a few times throughout Acts that that's the case for devout Jews, that they don't get their salvation just from being Jews. They actually have to put their faith in Jesus. So Luke's not trying to tell us that um, devout people, God-fearing people who practice what's right as best they know how are already saved. Um, They need the gospel, even if they kind of know what's right. Um, We even see Jesus, you know, he came to save Everybody, but I mean, he went to the Jews, he talked to the devout Pharisees, you know, that was who he was ministering to. And so I think we can see throughout Luke's gospel, throughout Acts, we can see that he's not advocating for being a good guy gets you in, because I think it's pretty clear that he writes about the opposite. And then my last point is in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it says, uh, this is talking about the apostles when Peter tells them what happened. Uh, He says, well, 
When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So, repentance unto life means that their repentance led to eternal life. So, they didn't already have it. So, they received it when they heard the message about Christ and turned to believe and follow him. So, to answer my first question, was Cornelius already saved? Based on my four points that I gave, that's why I don't think that he was. And so, um, the second question I have is simply, what then does it mean when Peter says, in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him? And what does this have to do with our racial tendencies or world missions? What does that look like? And so, does this mean all people are, are acceptable candidates for salvation? And so, my first thought when um, looking at verse 35 is kind of about what God means through his vision about the unclean animals. It says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. So at first glance, that looks like, okay, like this is everybody. You know, everybody's dirty. We're all thrown in there. But if you look at verse 28, verse 28 says, And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So what this means is that Christians should never look down on a person from any race or ethnic group and say that they're not good enough to hear the gospel, that they are too unclean or that their house is lame or that they have like disabilities or they have like offensive habits. You know, you can't like look at some, I know Johnny was talking about homeless people and kind of the ministry he's been doing around here a lot. And you can't look at somebody, even though they may have some really gross things about them that you don't like and be like, hey, like, I'm not going to share with that person. So, hey, what's up? Oh, I just wanted to say, I think that's really awesome that you're bringing this up. I mean, also, obviously we're reading through it, but like that you're highlighting it because um, I think a lot of people who don't, I mean, even for myself and then for people who don't know what it's like to be Christian or like don't, haven't heard like the gospel, like there's this, there's just like this fear, I feel like, of like just being judged mm-hmm. and like, you know, it's like hard for people. It, it's like it sucks because there's some some people who profess to be Christian, but like they don't have love for like right. for like people. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like totally. um, it hurts, and and um, it hurts. You know, the people who um, could be hearing the gospel but aren't because that person is like placing judgment already. Yeah. Um, No, I think you like hit it on the head. You know, we even see that with Peter, you know, he's like, hey, you guys already know that like Jews associating with Gentiles is like taboo. You know, this isn't something that I do, but like God gave me a vision and I'm here. You know, this is what's going on. But you had something, Johnny? Yeah, you actually mentioned it in Galatians, that passage we're reading. They're talking about how the law was seen as like a curse. Like Mm -hmm. God didn't want, he wanted the relationship. And how Jesus came to get rid of that. And that's the thing that the Pharisees, which is kind of what you're hitting on, is they were so about, you got to do this, you got to be one of yeah. them. Like, they're very, yeah, I'm not trying to bash Jewish people because I have many Jewish friends yeah. that are great, but the Pharisees in particular were only about, you got to do what's right to make it to be accepted. And it's, you know, it's a matter of the heart. Yeah. You can see, like, you know, with with this story, as a matter of the heart, he was wanting God, and then 
God sends these people to him. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it wasn't meant to, we weren't meant to have all this uh, legalism on us. And it's interesting, too, because because his heart was in the right place, he was actually doing things like, it says, prayers and alms, mm. trying, to, I think, to get closer to God in a sense, but that wasn't actually what saved him. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think I'd, I also, just kind of piggybacking on that a little bit, I know, like, what you were trying to say as well. I just want to, like, clarify that, like, mm. he wasn't trying to, like, say, like, oh, the law sucks in a certain way, he came to fulfill it, you know, it's not, it's like, he didn't intend for the law to be there, he totally did, you know, he wanted to, like, there's a lot of things he had planned through the law, but he fulfilled it for the the new covenant, which is kind of like what we were saying, I know that's what you're trying to say, but, yeah, so, again, uh, in verse 28, kind of like you guys are saying, God is saying that we shouldn't ostracize people through cultural distinctives, physical distinctives, and we see the phrase that Peter's given through things that are common and unclean, we don't reject those things anymore, you know? It's like before they were seen as things that were like leprosy, pretty much, you know? It's like, you don't go near that. It's not the case anymore. It says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone, not one, common or unclean. So, um, it's super cool, but at the same time, I don't think it's simply a matter of clean and unclean. Um, It says in verse 35, and every nation, and I want to like point out these words, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. So here he's talking about every person. He's not talking about every person like it was in verse 28. We're saying, you know, we shouldn't refuse people based on where they come from or what they're like or things about them. But now he's talking about specific people in these groups that are acceptable to God. And so so he does say it called no person common or unclean. That's what he's saying. But I think in this particular case, Cornelius and people like him kind of fall somewhere in between because it doesn't mean that these God-fearing doers of good are saved. Um, We saw the four reasons that I gave up why that can't be the case, but it also doesn't mean that merely everybody's this acceptable candidate for evangelism because we can't say, we can't, like, everybody's acceptable through this vision that he had. It's somewhere in between. And so I think it's somewhere between being saved and being this touchable, lovable human ready for evangelism. I think this is a special case we have with Cornelius. And this is kind of my thought on it is Cornelius kind of represents a unsaved person among an unreached people group who is seeking God in an extraordinary way. And so Peter is saying that God accepts this search from Cornelius as genuine. You know, it's God is working this miracle out to bring people to these people who are seeking God, the gospel. And I think you can, we can see that in verse 31 uh, where Cornelius says that uh, the angel said to him, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. And notice it says, your prayers have been heard. Therefore, send for Peter. So this kind of implies that the prayers were for God to send him what he needed in order to be saved. And so it's not this like, hey, like, I'm interested in you and like, this is cool. So like, awesome. And then like Peter shows up and says, hey, you're good. Like, no, he he realizes, no, I need to be saved. But... Right. And so he, he realizes his situation. He realizes his disposition towards God is not not good. And so he says, I, I don't know what this is. I need you to send me somebody. And he does. And so the fear of God that is acceptable 
to God in verse 35 is a true sense that there is a holy God, that we have to meet him as sinners one day, and that we can't find our own way out, that we need Jesus to make it through. And um, I think that Cornelius was doing this very thing. He realized this, and he was praying for truth in his life, and God worked wonders to bring the gospel to him. And I think uh, that is pretty awesome. And so kind of a few takeaways from everything we read. One is that no person is common or unclean. None is to be turned away, tuned out, shunned, rejected, despised because of their ethnicity or their culture or the race. None of that should be in our decision-making when it comes to preaching the gospel to somebody. And the second thing I wanted to point out was every people group around the world, according to verse 35, there are people being prepared by God to seek him with acceptable prayer. And so there's people out there that are seeking God, not just like average, I'm not like talking specifically towards everybody out there, but there are people, specific people out there who are praying to God for something. And I think that's what's so awesome is that there's, that's kind of like us, you know, we had Johnny and Miley and Kat, they went to Japan and I'm sure they have stories of people they ran into and uh, those are people they wouldn't have ran into if they didn't go, you know, if they didn't obey God's call for them. And so it's cool to think that God is working miracles, he's working wonders to bring these people the gospel, whether it's through us or through somebody else or whatever the media may be. I just want this to be an encouragement that there's unreached people out there who have appointments with us, appointments with God, and um, I think it's up to us to not only listen but to pray for these people and to know that God is the one doing the miracle and that there's people out there for us to witness to. And so hopefully this is an encouragement um, to go out and preach the gospel to people because there's people looking for it. So that's it, and I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can come and read your word and um, grow. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share from Acts 10. I pray that anything that was not of you would not be received. And Lord, I pray that this would really be an encouragement to all of us to preach the gospel, to pray for those people out there, and just to be thankful that you include us as people to be grafted into your family. And um, yeah, Lord, we're thankful for salvation. We're thankful for just reconciliation between you and us. And um, I pray that we would never forget that. And I pray that you would bless the rest of this evening. In your name we pray. Amen.